Truth Espresso, episode 202. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hey there, this is Daniel Minnick, the host for Truth Espresso, and this is going to be another episode of Truth Espresso Express. I am just getting around to doing another episode, and I am pulling out of my driveway and headed toward the great wonders of another workday in the office doing software development. So what do we have in store for this episode of Truth Espresso Express? Well, the topic came up in some recent conversations that I've had. I have a co-worker at work who likes to talk politics and religion and philosophy and stuff. Because he knows that I am a Christian, he also knows that I'm free market oriented. And so he has lots of questions about that. And he calls himself a liberal. He votes Democrat. And in the last conversation that we had, as of this recording, he made the statement that I've heard before and I've read about before. He made the claim that Jesus was a socialist. So, you know, this is another one of those claims that pretty much Christianity today, except for maybe some pockets, or he mentioned Pope Francis as a good humble example, of course, that uh, most of Christianity today, as it manifests itself in politics, has been just changed and corrupted from the original message of Jesus that we might find in the Gospels, and that Jesus was a socialist, and Christianity today has sold out its soul to evil capitalism, and there are plenty of Christians who might be a little bit naive about things, and yes, they might just promote big business or something like that, or they might not truly understand what a free market is, and they just, because I've been critical of people who will, like, mortgage their soul to the Republican Party and let the Republican Party define their faith, and a lot of people in the Republican Party are not really Christians or devout Christians practicing Christians, so, you know, we can't let a political party that maybe aligns more with the Bible to define what the Bible means. We must be Christians first before we are anything political. But my co-worker said that Jesus was a socialist. So, I've been trying to study, scour some of uh, Jesus' statements in the Gospels to figure out where does this come from. Look at some articles that claim that Jesus was a socialist, and also look at some articles that would argue against that position. Now, I did look for... Um, dictionary or encyclopedic definitions of socialism and the most common definition would say that socialism promotes the 
public ownership of the means of production, like goods and services, more so than the private ownership. Now, of course, you know, you have to ask to define those terms. What does public ownership mean? Because how do we all own, in a sense, a fair, tiny stake in everything? Because often public ownership means elites ownership, that the politicians, the government owns things, you know, and that they allegedly do things on behalf of the public. Really, what socialism means is that there's some kind of law structure, order structure, power structure, whatever in place that can effectively manage an equitable distribution of the results of the means of production. So basically, the power structure is in place to make sure that there's a more equal distribution of wealth. It doesn't necessarily take into account how wealth is accumulated or how you have incentives to create things that would produce wealth. But just to mean that the so-called public ownership or that rather the result of the power structure is a more equitable distribution of wealth. So as I was researching socialism, trying to brush up on what really is a mainstream or even a definition of socialism from the horse's mouth, socialism seems to depend on power structures being in place. Socialism depends on having a social system that has control of things. Like socialism can't be really something that an individual can practice, you know, as a matter of individual virtue. One can't be a practicing socialist himself to be an example. Like from what I've discovered trying to research, there really is no like voluntary socialist You know, they're they're probably out there, people who call themselves socialists, but there's no voluntary individual saying, I'm practicing socialism by going out and distributing, you know, my money to the poor. Now, I want other people to do the same. Practice voluntary socialism and go out and give to the poor. Uh, give you know redistribute your wealth so that there's more equity that's not what socialism is about in fact socialism seems to be against voluntary charity because voluntary charity seems to propose that the possibility of non-charity can also exist and socialism doesn't really like that very much They want more charity to be done by having some kind of so-called public arrangement where there's a public pot or and maybe, of course, you have to have someone in charge of managing the distribution of it. But someone going around privately giving to charity is not the end goal of socialism. So socialism, for the point in this episode, is all about overthrowing structures. You cannot have something that you can really deem socialism without the idea of overthrowing existing structures or changing the fabric of them somehow such that the structures, the power structures that govern society, you know, government or, you know, institutions are themselves 
you know, socialistic and they have the means of enforcement. But from what I read from Jesus in the Gospels, Jesus did not in any way in his teachings or actions demonstrate that he wanted protests. He was trying to organize something that would overthrow the structures. In fact, the opposite is true because a lot of his followers might have thought that he was getting ready to overthrow the Roman government and reestablish establish the kingdom of Israel in his earthly ministry and Jesus avoided that because he first wanted Israel to repent of the sins and of course we'd have to look at the sins of which they were guilty and what Jesus was expecting them to repent of because the socialists would argue that the sins Jesus was concerned with was not advocating a social a socialism structure or, you know, not giving enough to poor people. Like, the existence of poor people demonstrates that society as a whole needs to repent. Which Jesus told Judas, you know, the poor you will have with you always. Not to say that Jesus was advocating poverty and oppression either, you know. But Jesus was not saying that society must repent, and through their repentance, if we did things correctly, there could be no poverty. But I'm saying that Jesus lived in a society that was not ideal, and he did not teach, he did not act in such a way that he was trying to build a following that would essentially change the structures politically. Now, if everyone followed Jesus, sure, the structure would change, or at least would not have been um, oppressive like Caesar, would not have been like Caesar, and so on. But Jesus was teaching individual virtue. Yes, he taught a lot about giving to the poor. He taught a lot about charity. He taught a lot about not depending on or trusting in your riches. He taught a lot about the greed of rich people. Sure, there's no dispute about that. But the question is, does that mean he was teaching socialism? I would beg to differ after my reading of Jesus in the Gospels. So Jesus demonstrated no interest in upending or changing the fabric of so-called power structures during his earthly ministry. He did not even leave his disciples with the idea that what I have not accomplished, you go and do that. Jesus told his disciples that if someone sues you in a Roman court, for example, and gets your coat to give him your cloak also. Now, is that socialism? Well, Jesus didn't gather followers to protest the Roman Republic's legal system. Jesus, you know, was talking about living with, even if the Roman legal system was essentially unjust, Jesus told his disciples how to handle living with that and to be humble without basically resisting Roman law in the legal system in that way. He basically saying, if someone sues you in a corrupt court and 
happens to win your coat, you know, and, and it could be argued that, you know, Jesus is recognizing here that it's rightfully so that they, you know, won it from you. Whether this came from a true ruling or not, that was perfectly just. Jesus is saying, as a matter of testimony, even if this is unjust, be willing to give up your cloak, you know, because that would make a powerful statement of the Christian as a lawful citizen within a corrupt system. They could teach virtue that would go against the system, but they're not trying to upend it. They're trying to live humbly within it. Another example, Jesus told his disciples that if a Roman soldier compels them to carry their armaments uh, for a mile, that Jesus told them, go with them two miles. Now, is Jesus saying, well, therefore, the Roman system is just and that, you know, it is Christian for a government to have soldiers to compel uh, their citizens to carry armaments with them? No. Jesus is not in any way advocating the structure that was around him. He was talking about individual virtue and testimony. That virtue and testimony, even if a Christian is uh, has ideas for how a government should be run, the Christian can still live humbly within the situation he's in and volunteer to go two miles. Like, would you like me to carry this for you another mile? Now that would strike to the heart of the Roman soldier to wonder why would a captor, why would someone living under the bondage of a foreign system volunteer to do something he didn't have to do? Also, we have an example that when the Roman centurion uh, desired that Jesus heal his servant, okay, so you have a centurion. Someone in command of an army, a hundred soldiers, comes to Jesus. This is a Gentile in Jewish culture, someone who is filthy and an outsider. He's part of the system, the outside system. And he asks Jesus to heal his servant. Jesus didn't protest the authority of the centurion or the injustice of the servitude of a servant, you know, serving a centurion. Jesus commended the centurion's faith in Jesus that Jesus could, you know, heal him. And, of course, you know, it'd be humbling for someone who's working for the power at the time to come to someone who's a citizen uh, under captivity and have faith that this person had the miracle of healing. So Jesus commended the centurion's faith to heal his servant. Jesus didn't tell him, stop being a centurion. And he didn't tell him, servitude in that way under this structure is unjust. So you should free your servant. Uh, You should stop being a centurion. Now, if the centurion would be a disciple of Jesus in Jesus' earthly ministry, then Jesus could have told him, you know, quit your job, lay down everything everything come and follow me. But Jesus didn't do that with the centurion. He admired his faith and compared it to the faithlessness of many of his fellow countrymen. Jesus also used examples of contemporary structures 
political structures and so on in his parables, including kings and servants. Many of his parables talked about like the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king, you know, which called his servants or had a task for his servants. So, yeah, in Jesus' parables, he used illustrations from the current power structures, whether ultimately in the law they would be just or not. He included kings and servants and business owners, wealthy business owners and employees, or as he'd call them, servants. He never implied or directly stated that they needed to revolt against these structures. In fact, many of Jesus' parables, he taught a lot about money, and he talked about money and wages. He talked about investment. He talked about buying and selling in a market situation, you know, the going price of something. He didn't talk about overthrowing the structures to make sure that prices were radically changed. He talked about people buying and selling things. So he talked about all that using existing structures. Now, notwithstanding, his examples of the use of money seem to be free market oriented as I read them. For example, one of his parables was a a man who valued a field. He knew that there was a hidden treasure there, so because he valued this field, the kingdom of heaven was like to a man who valued a field and he sold all that he had to buy this field. And so Jesus wasn't saying it was the man's right to have this field so it should have been given to him or maybe the price of this field was overblown and the man shouldn't have had to sell everything he had to get it. No, Jesus didn't dismiss the price structure at the time. He just said the kingdom of heavens like a man who valued a field because of a hidden treasure in it and he sold everything he had to buy it at market prices. There's also an example of a parable where Jesus mentions a merchant man who saw a pearl of great price. And likewise, because this man was seeking goodly pearls, he saw this pearl of great price and he sold everything he had to buy this pearl of great price. So, you know, Jesus recognizing that some things naturally carry, you know, higher prices on the market because of what they are, supply and demand. A pearl of great price would be something that's, there's not really much on the market like it, so it commands a higher price. And the man valued it according to the market price. He didn't demand for justice that it be sold lesser. He was willing to do what it took, the labor, selling things at market prices to be able to garner up the money to buy the pearl at the going price. Maybe the merchant man negotiated. We don't see that mentioned in the parable. But the merchant man was willing to buy the pearl at a price that it was willing to be sold. Jesus taught his disciples to pray to the Father to bring the kingdom down to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He told his disciples to pray to the Father that that be true, that the will of the Father come down to heaven. 
but not through a potentially violent revolution. He wasn't saying, disciples, bring the kingdom down from heaven to earth, the will of the Father, by gathering a revolt against Caesar. He also taught his disciples to be content with the food and clothes that you have. But socialists don't seem to be that way. Many of them who have food and clothing, they're not happy because they see other people have a hundred times more than that or more. And so they're concerned with that. They think that they've been robbed. A socialist might read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount to the disciples, talking about humble living, personal virtue, caring for the poor, and being content with what you have as a form of socialism. Um... Yeah, that's not true because Jesus told his disciples how they can live their lives humbly and virtuously within the present system. He said, after these things the Gentiles seek, but he talked about not being like them. He didn't say, we need to make sure that the structures are set up so that the Gentiles don't seek these things. <laughs> The Gentiles constantly seek for more gain. Jesus says, be content that you have food and clothes. Don't be trying to go out on the streets yelling about social justice and how you're being robbed of stuff that you could have. Socialism seems to be concerned that those who are wealthier, <laughs> by definition, have exploited you and that you need to argue for your fair share. You don't see any of that in Jesus' teachings. Jesus criticized the Pharisees for outwardly embellishing the righteous acts, but he t told his disciples, when you pray, pray in secret. When you give alms, do it in secret. And yet socialism seems to want every action to be political. You know, eating is political. The food, the clothing, the house you have must be some kind of public statement. It, it needs to be political. Whether you have a lot or have a little, all of this needs to be political. But Jesus says to do things in secret so that you're not honored among people. The father who sees in secret shall reward you openly. Socialism wants every action to be political and publicly visible. That's opposite of what Jesus taught. Jesus taught his disciples that they would be persecuted and slandered for his sake, but that they should endure to the end. He said that they should flee to another city if they could um, to avoid persecution and that their deliverance would ultimately be when the Son of Man comes and returns. Now, of course, there's different ways to interpret this eschatologically, but nevertheless, Jesus was not telling his disciples, set up a structure. He's telling them, when I'm gone, be ready to face persecution, and this will all be resolved when I return. So he wasn't saying set up a socialistic structure so that I can return. And I've just parked in the parking lot at work. And so I'm ready to start a day of work. 
But as we can see from scouring the New Testament, socialism depends on a central, centrally managed structure, the so-called public ownership of the means of production and a public means of equitable distribution of wealth. Jesus never taught that. He taught a lot about giving and virtue and taking care of the poor, but as we could see, it was all voluntary. Jesus taught living within the structures, living personal virtue as Christians within the structures, within the country that you find yourself. And to be an example through your personal virtue. Socialism as a system cannot handle that. Because socialism doesn't really favor personal virtue unless it's just a natural part of really coercion from a publicly managed or rather politically managed system to which, you know, some people might not be in agreement, but they're compelled to do so. They're compelled to take care of the poor the way those who would manage the system or the majority in the case of democratic socialism would say that this is how it should be done what if some people have better ideas well tough luck in a socialist system if the elites or if the majority want it done a certain way then anything other than that is immorality and so that ends this episode of Truth Espresso Express. So I would like to continue a series on Was Jesus a Socialist? as we look at different things that he taught and different aspects of socialism. And so stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso and Truth Espresso Express. And God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.